0: Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jar, Part 13, Choices, is based on the book by John MacDonald, A Bullet for Cinderella.
1: I awoke at dawn. It was still raining. It seemed to be raining harder than before. I was surprised that I'd been able to go to sleep. I took a hot shower to work the stiffness out of my muscles. A small cut stung. My face in the mirror looked like the face of a stranger with sunken eyes and flat, taut cheeks. I prayed that Irene was still alive. I prayed that she would live through the night. I knew what would have happened the previous night had I not found Pixie. I'd be lying dead on the tile floor. They'd find me there. I shaved and dressed and left the motel. I got uncomfortably wet in the ten feet from the motel door to the car door. I drove slowly into town, the lights on, peering ahead through the heavy rain curtain. I drove through town and found a gas station open on the far side. I filled the car up. Further along, I found an all-night diner. A television hanging in a corner had a station giving the 7 o'clock news.
2: We have no information as yet on the disappearance of Irene Hirsch, the only daughter of Dr. Brent Hirsch of Leebrook. It is believed that the young woman was abducted by a man named Orrin Stuckey, an ex-police officer from Pensacola, Florida. Stuckey had been employed for the past year by Leon Vincent, a Leebrook businessman. Stuckey was a newcomer to the area. Vincent committed suicide this week. But certain peculiarities about the circumstances of Vincent's suicide have led Leebrook police to believe that it may have been a murder. Yesterday, the Leebrook Police, assisted by Gordon County Police, searched a summer cottage once owned by Vincent and found under a cement garage floor the bodies of his wife, Lisette, and Dravid Horseman of Chicago. At the time of Vincent's wife's disappearance two years ago, it was believed she had ran off with Horseman. Discoveries of the bodies and the Horseman car, which had been driven into the deep part of a lake, has led police to believe that Vincent killed both of them after finding them together at the summer cottage. An intensive search is being made for Mr. Stuckey and Ms. Hirsch. Full details of the case have yet been released, but it is believed that there is some connection between Stuckey and the bodies discovered yesterday at the Summer Cottage. It is expected that federal authorities will be called on in this case today. Ms. Irene Hirsch is 26 years old, 5 feet 8 inches, and weighs about 130 pounds. She has dark red hair, gray eyes, and was last seen wearing a dark green skirt and a white sweater is about 30 years old, 6 feet tall, weighs about 180 pounds. He has very blonde, almost white hair, and pale green eyes. He may be driving a black sedan, licensed BB 67063. Anyone seeing persons of this description should contact the police at once. Listen for local news on the hour.
1: The woman behind the counter had been watching the television with close attention.
3: Ten minutes of commercials every 15 minutes. Drives you nuts. I just turned it on for the news. If you want, I can find something else. No, thanks. How about that, Hushko? I met her once. We got this dog. He was a real cute puppy, but he liked to escape. And this highway is bad to try to have a dog when you live on the highway. He got himself hit, and we took him to Hersh's. The girl was real nice. Pretty sort of girl, but Blackie was too far gone. Busted his back, so they had to give him a shot. Honest, I cried. And you know what I think? I think it's a big deal for those two. I think maybe she ran off with that ex-cop. You can figure she wasn't getting any younger. She'll hear all about the mess she's causing, and she'll get in touch. That's just what will happen. Could be. Could be. Of course it could be. Want more coffee, maybe? Sometimes I think I'd run off with anybody asked me just to get out of this rat race. That's on my bad days. Isn't this day a stinker, though? Keeps coming down like this, every creek in the county will be flooded. Gives me the creeps to think about those two buried under garage floor all that time. I never knew Lizette, but my sister knew her. She was in high school with Lizette. My sister says she did a lot of running around. He made his big mistake bearing the two of them like he did. The way I look at it.
1: She was distracted by the sound of a couple of semis pulling into the diner. She watched silently as they exited their cabs and walked in. I was saved from her stream-of-consciousness monologue. After she served them, she came back, but I had finished. She gave me my change.
3: You remember what I told you now. That girl, that ex-cop, ran off someplace. Drive carefully,
1: you hear? I drove on through the rain. The cars I met were proceeding with great care. It should have been full daylight, but it hadn't gotten appreciably lighter since first dawn. It was almost nine o'clock before I got to Redding. I parked near a drugstore and phoned Susie. Hello? This is Hunter.
4: I'm sorry, I'm afraid you have the wrong number.
1: I'll be there at ten, like you said.
4: That's perfectly all right.
1: She hung up. Her last comment had been a tip-off. Somebody was there with her. She had answered as though I had apologized. I wondered if it would be all set for 10. I wondered if I dare try again. I went into a donut shop and had coffee. The counter was emptying rapidly as people went to work. I bought a reading paper. The discovery of the bodies had been given a big play. The article filled a little more background than the television item, but essentially it was the same. At 9.30, I tried again. She answered on the second ring. Hello. This is Hunter again. Yes. Is this deal off or on? What goes on? Should I be there at ten?
4: This coming Saturday? No, I'm I'm very sorry. I have a date.
1: I'll wait right here until you can call me back.
4: No, I'm I'm so sorry. Maybe some other time. Give me a ring.
1: Phone as soon as you can.
4: Thank you. Goodbye.
1: I ordered more coffee, I waited. At five minutes to ten the call came. Hello?
4: Is that you, Hunter? I couldn't talk before. I'm glad you phoned. Make it 10.15. What does your watch say?
1: Exactly four minutes of.
4: Don't park out back. Park a block away. Start off at exactly 10.15 and go slow. When you see me coming, open the passenger door. Don't waste time getting away from there.
1: I began to be more nervous. I had no way of knowing what she was mixed up in. I knew her playmates would be hard people. I didn't know how closely they would be watching her. The rain had begun to let up a little. I parked a block away from her apartment. I could see it. I kept the motor running. I kept an eye on my watch. At exactly 10.15, I started up. I drove slowly. I saw a man in a trench coat across the street from the apartment house, leaning against a telephone pole. As I drew even with the apartment house slowing down, she came running. I swung the door open. I didn't stop. She piled into the car. She wore a dark coat, a black hat with a veil, carried a brown case like a dispatch case. Hurry. Her voice was shrill, frightened. I sped up. She was looking back. I heard a horse shout.
4: Keep going. He's running for his car. It's headed the wrong way. They they posted a man out and back. I didn't know it until yesterday afternoon.
1: The light ahead turned red. There was cross traffic, but I ran the light. Tires yelped and horns bleated with indignation. I barely made the next light. She kept watching back over her shoulder. It took 15 minutes to get to the southbound highway, the road to LaBruc. Once we were out on the highway, she turned around. I glanced at her. Her left eye was badly puffed and discolored. Her left cheek was bruised. I remembered the story of a small girl who had stayed home from school because her brother had blackened her eye. What happened to your face?
4: People got annoyed at me. I got bounced around a little. Seems like my business partners aren't so understanding. Seems that tendering my resignation isn't something they are open to.
1: What the heck have you been mixed up in?
4: Don't worry about it.
1: I'd like to know how much of a chance I was taking.
4: You weren't taking it. I was taking it. They didn't want me to leave. Anybody leaves, they get the idea, there's a subpoena in the background. And a committee and an investigation, they were careless. I learned too much. So they had a problem. Do they kill me or watch me? They watched me. (laughs) I'm stupid, I guess. I was having a big time. I thought I could leave any time. I didn't know they played so rough. If I would guessed it, if I would guessed it could be this rough... I wouldn't have gotten this far in.
1: You can't go back then.
4: I can't ever go back. Don't make jokes. Just drive as fast
1: as you can. She had changed in the short time since I'd seen her. There had been a lot of arrogance about her. Confidence and arrogance and a flavor of enjoyment. That was gone. She was bitter and half-frightened and sullen. I drove. The rain finally stopped. The sky had a yellow look. Tires made a wet sound on the road. The ditches were full. We went through a village, children romped in the schoolyard under the yellow sky. I did not like what I was going to have to do to her. She had given me a certain measure of trust. She had no way of knowing that the stakes had changed. She could not know I was willing to betray her, that I had to betray her. I knew I could not risk taking her to the motel she would want her luggage, first of all. She would want a check on the money. It was gone. She would want an explanation. There was no explanation I could give her. I would betray her, but it was the money balanced against Irene's life. It seemed fantastic that I could have seriously considered going away with this woman, who sat so silently beside me, fist-clenched nervously against the dark fabric of her coat. It seemed fantastic that I could have gotten wound up in the whole thing. There was a time this would have been unthinkable. A time when everything made sense. Not like now, speeding away from who knows what, and with a woman I didn't know headed for an unknown future. Odds were that Stucky would kill both of us. He wanted the money. It was more than just greed. He considered it to be his, like he was entitled to it just because he knew about it. He wouldn't want anyone else to have it. I glanced over at Susie and realized that she was no different than Stucky. She would end up taking the money as well. She might even kill me for it. I wasn't safe either way. My life with Abby seemed so many lifetimes ago. For a very long time now, I had felt like I was just marking time, making money for booze by spying on cheating husbands and wives. Abby would be ashamed of what I had become. I glanced over at Susie again. She was offered a continuation of the path I had been walking down for some time now. I thought about Irene. That world was no longer my path, but she was the one I wanted to save. Could I walk that line between those two worlds? I focused on the road in front of me. Driving down this road, things became so clear to me. I suddenly felt alive, and I knew what I wanted, and I finally knew why.
0: Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you liked this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. This has been Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jar, Part 13, Choices. It is based on the book by John MacDonald, A Bullet for Cinderella. Hunter James was played by Tom Hinton. The television anchor was played by Liam Kent. The waitress was played by Jean Phillips. Susie Haver was played by Marsha Taylor. I'm Leslie Woodruff. This episode of Seamus was written by Max Reese and directed by Tom Hinton. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.